0: you would take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 13, if you're visiting with us, if you pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you, go towards the back to page 103, 103. Acts 13. We're going to start reading verse 13 through verse 41. 13... 13 through 41 <clears throat> Acts chapter 13 verses 13 through 41 <clears throat> again page 103 in that black Bible so I'll read the passage then we'll do our study now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem but going on from Perga they arrived at the city in Antioch on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down and after the reading of the law and the prophets the synagogue officials sent to them saying brethren if you have any word of exhortation for the people say it and Paul stood up and motioning with his hand he said men of Israel and you who fear God listen the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan he distributed their land as an inheritance about 450 years. And after these things he gave judges until Samuel the prophet and then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul the son of Kish men of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Verse 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem... And their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no guilt for death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children. And that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, That he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay. He spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, Through Him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be justified through the law of Moses. Take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Well, in honor of the GOP presidential nominations that are going to be coming up, I thought it would be good to look at the top promises made by past presidents or would-be presidents. How's that? One promise, um, to bring about nationalized health care. Harry Truman. To eradicate poverty. Lyndon B. Johnson to cure cancer Richard Nixon to eradicate ju- uh excuse me to eradicate drugs George HW Bush to create a global defense system Ronald Reagan to drive nothing but hydrogen fueled cars George W Bush and the promise to eliminate nuclear weapons? Jimmy Carter. I read those Why well, I didn't know they promised those things. Did. Promises, promises. Now some believe these presidents or would be presidents, they'll do this or do that. Whoa. Well, others say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sad because it means that we don't believe our government leadership. They're out to scam us. They're out to con us. Most likely. <laughs> a bigger problem though is we carry that over to any type of authority over us. As a matter of fact, We carry that belief over. We carry that understanding about authority in our belief about God. That He's going to make promises. He's conning us. He's scamming us. We carry that over. No, friends. As we come to this part in Acts, just do it. Be who you are. Let God use us to fulfill His mission. We come to this part of Acts where He always keeps His promises. We proclaim and we believe that God always keeps His promises. He's not out to con us. He's not out to scam us. He will keep His promise. If He says this, He's going to do it. Another way to put it, this is a subtitle, How to Give the Gospel to a Jew. Principles for you to take away. How to give the gospel to a Jew. God always keeps his promises. Let's say that together. God always keeps his promises. One more time. God always keeps his promises. Let me put the message in a statement for you. God graciously kept his promise. By bringing, preparing, killing, and resurrecting the Savior through whom there is forgiveness of sins and justification before God. Listen and respond now. That's the sermon in one statement. That's this message from Paul in one sentence. God graciously kept his promise. He brought, he prepared for, he killed, and then he resurrected the Savior. According to promise. Through whom there's forgiveness of sins, through whom there's justification, listen and respond. This is the most developed, the most detailed sermon by Paul as given to us in the book of Acts. He addresses Jews and, and God-fearing Greeks in this particular synagogue. And this is what he says to them. And his point is that God has fulfilled this promise of salvation in Jesus, who is both Lord and Christ, respond to the message today. Respond to the good news. That Jesus has fulfilled God's promises made to David long ago, made to the fathers long ago. Don't reject it. Jesus is the Savior, the promise fulfiller, the Son, the Holy One, who brings forgiveness of sins and justification to sinners who repent and trust Him alone. He's the one and only Savior. He's the one and only. If you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this message is for you. You must respond today. You must turn to Christ and you can be saved. But also for us as followers of Jesus, what a perfect message how God sets this up for us to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper soon. Because Christian, God keeps His promises, and He will keep His promise of forgiving you of all your sins, and cleansing you of all your unrighteousness, 1 John nine. That you stand before Him justified. That He will continue to transform and grow us Through and in the gospel, Christian, He loves you in Christ. And and so when you take the elements, tangible, real things you can touch, you can taste, you're reminded how much God loves you in His Son. How much He's forgiven you of all your sins. And He embraces you because you've embraced His Son. And God will always be faithful to keep His promise to send His Son to return and judge this world in righteousness. So you won't have to worry about an election anymore. You won't have to watch the commercials anymore. You won't have to do any of that stuff anymore because there will be a dictatorship. But it will be a a gentle, gracious, kind dictatorship of the one righteous God, Jesus Christ. He will rule and we will reign with him what a promise so when we partake of the Lord's Supper we proclaim it until he comes with the hope that he's going to come and return so let's unpack this now I told you God graciously kept his promise by bringing preparing killing resurrecting the Savior through whom there's forgiveness of sins and justification before God listen and respond now let's take each one of those uh, the, the sentence let's unpack it let's take it apart first God graciously kept his promise. Verses 13 to 37. Starting in 13, preliminaries. Paul and his companions, they sailed to Asia Minor from Paphos to Perga and Pamphylia. Notice John Mark left and returns to Jerusalem. We're not told why. We later find out Paul was pretty ticked off about it, though. Find out in chapter 15. They went north to Antioch of Pisidia. It was a Roman colony, a huge Jewish population. Notice it says, on 14 in verse 14, Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Synagogue service normally had the reading of the Law and the Prophets. So after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, and then they would have a word of encouragement, or a brief homily. The synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if, if any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now, we don't know if the officials knew Barnabas and Saul. We don't know if Barnabas and Saul greeted them before the meeting or what happened. But he asked them to come up. Obviously, this guy had no idea who he was talking to. And he had no idea what he was asking. Ha, little do you know. So God graciously kept his promise. And then notice, let's unpack this now even more. First, by bringing the Savior, we're going to look at verses 16 through 23. How he brought the Savior. Paul. He stood up, motioned with his hand for attention, and then he did a short blast-through review of Israel's history, to the Jews, and God-fearers, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Greeks who respected the God of Israel, and my Jewish brethren, listen. Just as a side note, he masterfully touches Genesis, goes to Exodus, through Deuteronomy, to Joshua, and the one Samuel, and then the second Samuel. Does it just perfectly. 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, notice his identity, our fathers. He chose Israel to be his special people for his special covenant. He supported them Made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted army led them out. The Exodus redeemed them. For Peter, about four years in verse 18, he put up with them in the wilderness or bore with them or tolerated them, put up with their manners and moods. But God was still faithful despite Israel's faithlessness. So to keep his promise. What's the promise? that in Jesus Christ all the families of the earth will be blessed that's the promise verse 19 he destroyed seven nations the land of Canaan distributed their lands and inheritance it took about 450 years rounded off the numbers gave them judges no, Samuel asked for a king verse 21 gave them Saul the son of Kish the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years after he removed him <clears throat> he raised up David to be their king Raised up this one. Notice how he describes David. He was a king after God's own heart who will do all my will. He would perform perform God's will. So he's setting this all up. Bringing us all the way up to this point and then he says this in verse 23, From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. God brought to Israel Savior Jesus, who was the fulfillment of God's promise to David about having an everlasting dynasty. His promise about having a great descendant to come. The promise to the fathers that in the seed, Christ, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The promise Savior, as given to David, was Jesus. He was the deliverer. So God's bringing this about, bringing the Savior. So Paul, he leaped over a thousand years of Israel's history to the promise of a son of David who would deliver God's people, Israel, and anyone who repents and believes in that Savior, he would be this descendant who would bring the blessings of David along with the blessings given in Genesis to the fathers. So God keeps His promise by bringing the Savior. Notice then by preparing for the Savior. Verse 24 and 25. So God kept His promise. He brings the Savior through the the nation of Israel. And then He prepares for the Savior. John the Baptist. Proclaimed before His coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. A way of preparing them for Jesus' coming. He was completing His course or His mission there in verse 25. And He kept saying, You suppose I am? He was the He's the savior. I'm not the savior. I'm not the. I'm not He. And He knew this one would be so great that one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. God was preparing for the savior. Interesting too, John baptizing Jews. This was huge because it implied that Israel was estranged from God, needing His forgiveness. And that Israel, to be made right with God, they need to be made right with Him. And they weren't. But Jesus would be the Lamb who would take sin away. For Israel and for the people of the world. So God, He kept His promise. He brings the Savior. He prepares for the Savior. And then notice the next point. By killing the Savior. 26 to 29. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, those of you who fear God, to us, to us the word of the salvation is sent out. The salvation message is for us. The message of deliverance is for us. He says this word of salvation, message of salvation. Salvation takes the hearers back to the fact that Jesus is the Savior who's going to bring salvation. God is keeping his promise. He brings the Savior. He prepared for the Savior, and he's going to kill the Savior so that there can be salvation. Notice what he says in verse 27 For those who live in Jerusalem, and the rulers recognizing him, or the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath they fulfilled these by condemning him and they found no guilt for death they asked that he be executed so notice how those in Jerusalem and the rulers they, they failed in two ways first they did not recognize Jesus and his work second they didn't understand what they read from the prophets prophets each Sabbath concerning Jesus so they condemned their Savior which fulfilled the scriptures. They were culpable for their foolish actions. Yet, unwittingly, they fulfilled everything the prophets had predicted. All the words, all these words that they're reading, <laughs> was coming out of their mouths from the Sabbath, they actually did. Acting, in will for ignorance, they fulfilled their destined role. and they killed the Savior they had him executed there was no ground for death but they asked Pilate to kill him he did nothing wrong but they carried out all that was written about him and it was fulfilled and they took him down from the notice it says and when they carried him out when they carried out all that was written concerning him they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb they took him down from the cross literally from the tree in Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22 cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree he was cursed and they bury him there's no doubt that Jesus truly died on the cross and that his death was a cursed death because they hung him on a tree on the cross it was shameful Penal in its character. His death was needed though to make atonement for rebellious sinners who were cursed. So God had predicted this. He kept his promise. He brings the Savior. He prepares for the Savior. And then he kills the Savior. But Then the next point. By resurrecting the Savior. God keeps His promise, bringing the Savior, preparing for the Savior, killing the Savior, and then resurrecting the Savior. Notice in verse 30, but God raised Him from the dead. And for many days He appeared to those who came up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now His witnesses to the people. But God, back to Him as the subject, He raised Jesus from the dead. God, acted on behalf of the Son of David by resurrecting Him. He kept His promise. And He was seen. Jesus was was seen over many days by those who came with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem. His disciples. And then Paul says, these ones, they are now His apostolic witnesses of His resurrection toward Israel, toward the people, these eyewitnesses proclaim what God did through Jesus, says one writer. So these disciples, they, they guaranteed the message was real. The message was true. They didn't think of this on their own. They didn't come up with this. Hey, they've got a great idea. No, this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. This was His promise. Friends, when we think about Christianity, And what this means, Christianity is truly a proclamation of real historical facts about Jesus. How God stepped into time to act on behalf of sinners by sending His Son to fulfill His promises for sinners. He was gracious, kind, loving, and merciful by sending the Savior. So he brings to the table how God kept His promise by bringing the Savior, preparing for the Savior, killing the Savior, resurrecting the Savior, and now what Paul does, I'm going to give you scriptural proof of the resurrection. In verses 32 to 37, here's scriptural proof. His disciples testified to the historical event, and now scripture confirms that the promise has come in Jesus through God's vindication in His resurrection. God was pleased and He vindicated His Son and resurrected Him from the dead. And Paul says, I'm going to show you from Scripture. This was the case. Notice, starts in verse 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. This is the good news of the promise. This is good news. This is why we're here to proclaim to you the message of hope that God kept his promise in resurrecting Jesus. I'm going to show it to you. A promise fulfilled and confirmed by three scriptures. First, 33 God has fulfilled this promise to our children that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm You are my son. Today I have begotten you. What does this mean? How does this connect to the resurrection? His sonship, Jesus' sonship, was confirmed or made evident by His resurrection. He didn't become the son at His resurrection, but the resurrection confirmed He was the son. So because of His resurrection and ascension, Jesus experiences His Complete destiny as Savior Son Christ or Savior Son Messiah, sharing God's royalty and sharing God's authority. So there's proof number one Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, Today, uh, Psalm 2 says, You are my son, today I've begotten you. It confirms that He's the Son. Second, verse 34 that He raised him from the dead. No more to return to decay. He's spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. The promise made in Isaiah 55, verse 3. His resurrection means this raised, promised one would not see corruption. In other words, one writer puts it like this, quote, His resurrection was the means by which God distributed the promised blessings that were given to David for the people or to put it simply his resurrection is the means which God gives the blessing of his covenant his resurrection is the means which God gives the blessings of his covenant so he has to resurrect from the dead that's how Isaiah 55 connects to his resurrection God's promises are faithful and holy wrapped up in the faithful Holy One Third verse 35 therefore he also says in another psalm which is psalm 16 you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay psalm sixteen ten connects to isaiah 55 3 and that the holy things of isaiah it's linked to the holy one of psalm 16 and this holy one would not experience decay a prediction of jesus resurrection to become the future why notice what he says 36 for David after he served the purposes of God in his own generation he fell asleep he served his purpose he died he was buried he decayed he's dead 37 but he whom God raised did not undergo decay this psalm psalm 16 specifically psalm 16 verse 10 it's a message of hope it can't ultimately be about David because he's dead. He's decayed. It's impossible. But someone greater than him has come. That's Jesus the Son. That's Paul's point. Jesus is the one God raised who did not undergo decay or corruption, and thus is the one who fulfills God's promise. He is the one who fulfilled God's promise to his people regarding salvation. It's him. So, notice what Paul does from verse 16 all the way here to verse 37. He shows us how God kept his promise by bringing the Savior. He prepares for the Savior, he kills the Savior. Yet he resurrected the Savior. And he shows the scriptural proof that the Old Testament was pointing to the fact that the Messiah had to resurrect, the Savior had to be brought back to life. Therefore, verse 38. Therefore, based on all this, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The next part of our statement. So through the Savior, there's forgiveness. Through the Savior, there's forgiveness. Paul says, I exhort you to the first major benefit that comes only through Jesus Christ is forgiveness of all your sins. It can only be proclaimed to you through the promise fulfiller. It can only be done through the promise fulfiller. It can only be done through the Savior. It can only be done through Jesus. Only through the raised and living Jesus can anyone have forgiveness of sins. Anyone who responds to this Savior, Son, Holy One, will receive forgiveness of all their sins. Come to Jesus today. And you can be wiped clean of all your sins, all your wrongs, past, present, and future. All of them will be gone. All of them will be forgiven. Forgiveness means it's taken away. It's taken away. He takes it all away. You're wiped clean christian what a great truth you have to to grasp a hold of and and when we're going to partake of the elements you can remind yourself of the fact that god has kept his promise bringing preparing killing and resurrecting the savior and through him all your sins are gone he does not write them down and hold it against you He is not angry with you and pour out His wrath on you. He will not do that. His wrath was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. There's the promise. There's the promise fulfilled. So through the Savior, you can have forgiveness of sins. Praise God, Christian. All your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then there's more. There's more. Not do you get just... Forgiveness of sins, so through his through this Savior, there is justification now. Let's see verse thirty-nine. Is that right? Yeah. And through him, everyone who believes is freed, or literally, is justified from all things from which you could not be justified through the law of Moses. for those who believe they can be justified the law of Moses could never do this it can never justify you. Jesus provided what Moses and the law could never do justify sinners make them right with God and that's what justification means the long definition justification is the legal or forensic act of God whereby He declares, declares a sinner righteous. God renders a favorable verdict upon the sinner. How? He credits a sinner with Jesus' righteousness. He was perfect in everything. He was perfect in every way. So that righteousness is credited to you. And your sin is credited to Him, which is why He died. He was a substitute for sinners. So the law, keeping the commandments, it can't forgive you, and it will never justify you. The only way, the only way one can be made right with God is through the resurrected Savior, Son, Holy One. Jesus It's the only way. Another way to translate this verse. Everyone who believes in Him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. Your good works have no merit with God. Your good works have no merit with God. Only the merits of Jesus. Your good works, they don't merit nothing with God but it's the merits of Jesus. Only His merits. One writer says this, quote, Justification and renewal are now available for everyone who believes, who trusts in the promises of the gospel, and relies on the work of Christ that makes them possible, end quote. And when you seek forgiveness... To seek forgiveness means one repents because one recognizes the wrongs committed. I've seen the wrongs and there's forgiveness. I turn away from that. And it also means one exercises faith in what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. Friends, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments specifically, they will only condemn you. It condemns you. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty we are but through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone one can be made right with God it's only Christ it's only in Jesus so for anyone to repent and trust Jesus Christ not only will that person receive forgiveness and taken away of all their sin past, present, and future but that person will be declared righteous you're credited with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. His credit, you're reckoned with that. So when you partake of the elements this morning you will see remember you are not worthy of this but Jesus is worthy and his righteousness is credited to you and you remind yourself of the freedom that you have to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ look if you want to experience the blessings of salvation then you must repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone and it's to anyone respond this is why the good news is not help me to live a better life This is why the good news is not live your best life now. That's not the good news. The good news is I am a wretched sinner. Please be merciful to me. And he is. Let's not get your life right. That's not the gospel. It's my life is really screwed up. God please save me. Friends, this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion of the world. From Roman Catholicism, to Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, Sikh, and Judaism. The major religions of this world this is what distinguishes biblical Christianity because one only needs to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be made right with God. That's that's it. It's Christ and Christ alone. That is the gospel we proclaim. That is the gospel we embrace. This is the gospel that we live and breathe. And notice what Paul does at this point in verse 40. Take heed Therefore, which leads us to that last part of our sentence, listen and respond. Take heed, pay attention, watch carefully. Hello. Take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish. I am accomplishing a work in your days—a work which you will never believe, for so much to describe it to you. Pay attention. Be careful. Watch. Be careful. Pay attention. Watch carefully. Lest you fall into judgment. Just like the prophets warned. If you do not respond, that will mean judgment upon you. If you don't respond to the gospel, if you haven't responded to the gospel, you will be judged. He quotes from Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. About the coming judgment that will going to take place upon Judah by the Chaldeans now now, now, Paul would say this a Jew would this would be a hard thing for them to hear because they're basically saying I'm excluded from God I'm, I'm now threatened with judgment from God if I don't respond see Jews were under the impression that the promises of David were theirs by gift and by right I am a son of Abraham. I should have those gifts. I should have that promise. Uh-uh. It don't work that way around here. Watch out. Must judgment come for not heeding, for not believing God who has acted in and through His Son, who's acted in His Son on behalf of sinners. Failing to embrace God's Savior, Jesus leads to judgment. And by the way, marveling at it is not the same thing as embracing it. Being wowed by it is not the same thing as believing it. Saying, well, that's really cool. That's not the same thing as saying, well, I'm going to live that. I want that. One must repent and embrace the Son. See what God is doing in and through His eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and respond. Don't be a scoffer someone who despises or has contempt for the work God has done in and through His Son, His death, His resurrection. those who fail to believe or embrace the work God has done in and through His Son will be destroyed or perish in judgment. Yes, God is a God of grace, compassion, gentleness, mercy, and love for sinners, yes. But don't spurn Him. Don't disregard and spit on His grace. Embrace grace. Don't spit on grace. Take heed, listen and respond. Christian, listen and respond now. Even now you repent. Even now we trust Christ. We continually are repenting and trusting Christ. We continually must tell ourselves, I I do not deserve your compassion. I do not deserve your love. I should be a wretched sinner burning in hell right now, but you're showing me mercy. Praise God. Christian God will keep His promises. Forgiving your sins, cleansing you. You stand before Him justified he will continue to transform you and grow you in and through the gospel what great hope you have what a great preparation for you people congregation what a great preparation for you for your heart where we will soon partake of the Lord's Supper and remind ourselves of the gospel remind ourselves of the fact that we do not deserve his grace and mercy which is why it's called grace, right? Here's the truth to ponder. So take a few moments. Have a few moments of silence for you to ponder the truth of the gospel. You would take heed, that you would listen and respond. Remind yourself that we must trust Christ alone. Remind yourself we turn from sin and trust Jesus alone. Take a few moments to Ponder, think and listen, and we'll do our time of giving where you can respond by giving sacrificial.